by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And Janet, Justin Benford with us today. Guys, we are into the middle of November. There's been a lot of hunting done over the last couple of months, and we're to the point now where we're already starting to look at what we're going to do for 2024. And, you know, you guys are, are really, we've talked, Justin, since we started talking at the beginning of this show, that you guys are continually doing research and collecting information and really boots on the ground so that you're ready for everything uh, when it comes to those season setting dates, and we're to that point of the year where kind of ending the seasons. That's right, Drew. Um, it is interesting that we're talking about things today that are all stemming from the fact that you told us you hit the you hit the delete button, and so it's something really important at the end of the season and planning for next year that hunters around the state recognize that the delete button doesn't help us any when we send you guys surveys. And it really is important. And like you mentioned, Justin is out on the ground doing all of this work, but a huge part of it is what we learn from our surveys, whether it's a hunter survey, a harvest survey, a deer survey, a CWD survey, whatever survey you might be getting from the Wyoming Game and Fish Department this fall and early next year is vitally important to us and our science. So what the the um, survey that I got that I hit the lead on was for a species that I didn't hunt. So what I probably should have done is says, oh, I didn't hunt this species. Next, next one. But it happened to be dove hunting. They probably because I was out and got my license for the small game and, and or small game bird. Uh, and that's probably why I would get something like that, I assume. Right. Yeah. So, you know, with any survey, um, I guess one of the take home rules is no data is good data. It's meaningful data. So whether it's a dove, you know, a a survey like that for species you didn't hunt or in the case of, you know, uh, we get you get a big game survey, like say an elk survey from us in in your email or um, even if you didn't hunt or even if you did hunt and were unsuccessful and didn't harvest anything. That is really important information for us to know, because getting back to like what you prefaced the conversation with Drew, as we talk, you know, this this wildlife management game, it's a year round game. I mean, we're well, you know, it's a a year round endeavor for us. So a vital piece of that information is having a, a good idea of how successful hunters were out in the field, how many actually went out in the field to begin with and then and what the harvest was. So. That's really critical information that feeds into our population models estimates and and that we use in, in for future management decisions. And Drew, it might have been very beneficial for us. Let's just say, had you clicked, no, I did not hunt. The next question might have been, I didn't hunt because. Is it an access issue? Is it a species issue? Is it a price of a license issue? All of these different things that will feed us more data and more information so that we can better manage wildlife in the future. And so just like Justin said, no data is still good data. So even if you say, no, I did not hunt that, that is far better than not replying at all. 
which these are going to come via email. And you said to me before we went on the air that there could be hundreds sent out over the next few weeks or a few months. Okay, so hundreds, maybe I don't mean that. A lot of people might feel like we're sending out hundreds. In numbers, yes. Different ones, no. But we do have a lot that will be going out. You know, did you hunt deer? Did you hunt antelope? Did you hunt elk? Have you done like your hip permit? Those are things that people might be seeing, all these harvest surveys. In addition to, and Justin can talk a little bit more about this, a lot of deer management, elk management surveys that might be coming out right now. And so, you know, there are quite a variety and they're all critically important to us. So we have we have talked about some of these surveys being, you know, maybe a bird hunting or, or something like that. But Justin, how beneficial is it to the number figures on big game, say elk or deer? Because, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had lower numbers on antelope and deer because of wintering and, and issues. So does that really impact what people will uh, put down for the surveys that go to help the numbers in the future? Well, what it does is it helps us just kind of understand it. it's one more way to gauge how wildlife populations are doing. So we certainly conduct our own wildlife surveys um, where we're physically counting and, you know, sexing aging animals, things like that, that collect the, the data on the herds themselves. But an integral part of our management is understanding how successful hunters were. So when we're establishing license quotas or season length days, things like that for next year, one of the key pieces of information we'll look at is what was harvest success. So, so let's just t- say, for example, you know, the long 10 year average on an antelope um, tag west of Casper, we run about 92% license success there. We have a tough winter. We know we lost some animals and all of a sudden, you know, on a, on, on a reduced number of licenses, all of a sudden we're running 70% license success, just for example. That's one more thing that tells us, hey, we knew we need to make reductions in licenses, but hey, maybe we need to even go further. Because if hunters are all of a sudden having that type of a time filling an antelope tag, that's something that we really evaluate. And of course, those success metrics vary by species. I mean, you don't run success that high in your elk hunts and things like that. But yeah, we really, really look into that stuff. and. And again, so no data is good data. Or uh, like I said earlier, if you if you are unsuccessful, but you did hunt, um, that's really important for us to know as well. So you take all these factors that you get from the public. And one of the way that you do that is the check stations. Your boots on the ground, you're, you're out, you're talking with hunters that have been out hunting, whether it's dove or it's deer or elk. Are you learning a lot of good information already this year? Oh, you bet. I mean, yeah, whether it's check stations or just routine, you know, contacts from checking hunters out in the field or wardens or biologists, you know, all of us, we're, we're out there talking to folks, um, you know, pretty consistently throughout the season. So after a while, you talk to enough people, you, you, you spend time out in the country with your own eyes, you know, you couple all that with our wildlife survey data or harvest data, et cetera, it all it all helps us paint a picture of kind of just what's going on out in the landscape. You know, one of the factors that you had mentioned that, you know, there are samples taken for CWD and, you know, that's a, it's a big issue in game and fish because you want to monitor and see what herds are. And I know that you guys are not an agency that recommends or not recommend what people eat, but where is somewhere that someone can go 
because I have seen this all over Facebook lately about uh, positive CWD animals coming back and people nervous. They, they get that positive uh, report back and they're, um, they're, they're nervous about, you know, is it consumable? Is it not consumable? What should they do if they elect not to consume that deer? Well, you're right, Drew. The Wyoming Game and Fish Department isn't a human health agency, but there are a lot of human health agencies out there. And we go by what the Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization recommends. And people can go to their websites and find a whole wealth of information. And, you know, they do recommend that people do not consume chronic wasting disease positive um, meat. And so we kind of continue with that, you know, mantra recognizing that it is everybody's personal choice. It's not something that we mandate that you can no longer eat, or it's not something that, again, we would ever recommend that somebody eat. That is everybody's personal choice, but there is a ton of information on the website at the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, or the World Health Organization that people can find. And then in addition to that, we do have a CWD page on our website that, that also you know, it has a bunch of other information just about the disease itself, you know, kind of tells you things like it's okay for you legally to dispose of your animal if it does test positive. Yeah, there's actually a link to an interactive map where you can actually look at um, the prevalence information, meaning that the percent of animals that are positive in a herd um, around the state. So that's done at, a, at the hunt area level around, or excuse me, the herd level around the state. So you can you can kind of look at that as well and have an idea, hey, are the deer or the elk in the areas that I'm hunting in, What what's the last reported prevalence of the disease in this area? So just kind of help folks make a more informed decision. Which, again, goes right back to making sure you do the surveys, you turn in the samples, you make sure that you're doing your part so that all that information is accurate. All the, yeah, for sure. And then and one point, Drew, that I really want to stress, and Janet has touched on this, is that when we're talking about surveys, we're not talking about just our harvest surveys. That's certainly a pivotal piece of management information for us. But in addition to that, let's just take the Casper area, for example. We sent out letters to hunters um, west of town where we had mandatory CWD sampling. Then they got a, you know, we did that before archery season. Then we, we did that again at the end of September before rifle season reminding them that, hey, it is mandatory to do this. Um, we sent out a hunter attitude survey statewide that's gauging resident hunter opinions on just mule deer management in general around the state. Um, up in the Black Hills here in the, in the next few days, we're going to be sending out a bunch of emails because we're, we're asking folks that hunt up in that part of the state what their preference is on some mule deer season timing and things like that. And so all that information, that that human dimensions part of it too, in addition to just the harvest survey is, and that just that that correspondence we have with with the hunting public this time of year. Sometimes you know we do inundate you a little bit with different surveys in your inbox and that sort of thing. We try to be cognizant not to do too much of it, but it's all important stuff. We we're doing it for a reason, and we need folks' input and opinions. So Drew, go get your survey out of the trash <laughs> and fill it out. Go to that all mail <laughs> thing and get it. Yeah, you don't want to face the wrath of Millick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, as always, great information. And if you have any questions on any of the surveys or you don't understand that survey, reach out and contact the Game and Fish Department to make sure that you're uh, getting those filled out and 
Guys, thanks a lot. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate you, Drew. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Drew, along with Brian Woodward and Brian, it's a little different this week. It is a little different. We are not in the store. Not in the store. Not in a studio. Not in a basement. We're in a hunting lodge. Yeah, we're up here uh, with uh, Tony Kaiser with Cedar Ridge Outfitters, and uh, we had one heck of a morning. We did. Uh, It was a very uh, beneficial morning because we both are going to have a full freezer of elk. That's right, and uh, we get to put some of our uh, pre-planning with some of our processing and whatnot to to use and uh, get those LEM grinders and uh, whatnot put to, put to use this next week. It was uh, fun because, you know, we've been talking about this hunt for, well, quite a long time, and we put in, got our, our tags, and uh, one thing that we talked about a lot is pre-planning. And, you know, I mean, I don't think either of us forgot anything, so we were pretty well prepared. No, I think we were probably over-prepared. The hardest <laughs> part was, you know, with, uh, really how to dress and how much walking we were going to do and whether we were layered properly or whether we had enough uh, clothes to break the wind today. Yeah, and that wind was nuts zipping up on top of some of these mountains. Being at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is a great opportunity for you to get stocked up if you have a late-season hunt coming up. And I know here they'll be hunting until mid-December, so... It, it'll really change. Yeah, and there's uh, quite a few uh, cow seasons uh, that are extended all the way till you know, almost the end of January. So, so uh, cold weather is coming. Make sure you get stocked up. And let's bring Tony Kaiser in. Uh, Tony, uh, very kind and considerate to uh, allow Brian and I come up and take up the beds and uh, and eat some food. And it was a really good time. It was a, a pleasure to have you, Drew, and, and Brian. Uh, to be able to see our operation, see what we have here. Yeah, we're not going to disclose the location uh, because, you know, it's pretty uh, top secret. But I can tell you that this is my first experience of, of a hunting lodge. And, I mean, it, it's been top notch. And, and the best part about it is we didn't have to go and really search very much because you guys knew exactly where the, the elk were for us to go this morning. We do, Drew. We, we try to do our our homework, our studying. Um, we've learned how these elk are migrating over to where they, they would call the wintering ground. The ranchers are wanting them thinned out because there's just so many of them. So we, we do a lot of our own homework to learn how to make sure that our clients have a successful hunt when they're here. And another great thing is, you know, like I'm, this is my first time elk hunting. So you were very you know, kind of explain a lot of different things and uh, the way that we need to do it. And Brian, I know you've hunted before and you know, it really is, even as an experienced hunter, it's kind of a different experience up here. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're going out with uh, somebody that's skilled and, and knowledgeable of the area that you're in, and it's really no secret. I mean, uh, Tony guides primarily in area 48 and 120. So, I mean, if you're looking for a hunt in the future and you're, you know, don't have a lot of time or you just want someone to kind of show you the ropes, I mean, and uh, you can go check out cedarridgehunting.com and find out more about Cedar Ridge and Tony and, and your whole cast of, of characters. You, you have quite a great group of folks up here. We do. Without, without the team that I have, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. All the way from, from my guides to the cooks to the office gals that are taking care of stuff. Without them, Cedar Ridge wouldn't be able to operate and do what we do and allow me and and certain guides to be able to go out and scout and do our homework and our study on, on what we do. 
And you actually even have some folks from uh, around the world. I have a good good friend of mine, Chris. He's from South, South Africa. He's over here learning how we do it over here. I go over there and hunt and learn how he does it over there. Um, so we bring in, you know, we, we bring in a, more people from all over the world so that they can see how we do it, and then we go learn how they do it. But it also gives our clients a chance to visit with them on maybe booking a hunt over there with, with them. I tell you, I mean, like uh, meeting Chris and having like conversations with him is really, I mean, kind of eye-opening, you know, just learning the culture over there. But from a, from an outfitter standpoint, you know, you're you're always constantly learning. You know? you're, you're learning on, hey, what works over there? What can I bring back here? And how can I incorporate that? Or do I need to incorporate that? Just like when with me fishing tournaments, like I've picked up, you know, all the good stuff that I've seen from tournaments and brought them back to, to what we do here. Mm-hmm. And that just makes a better event, a better experience for the people that are there. So, I mean, my hat's off to you because like this, you know, this experience, but you've got people that are in their, well into their 80s that are able to come up here and have a good quality, successful hunt with, with, with the, the amount of effort you put in. Thank you for that, Brian. Last year, me and Chris had met in South Dakota in Rapid City at the Sportsman Show there. We're not just about taking the adults. We're about taking the kids, the veterans, you know, whoever it is who wants to come and experience their first elk hunt or just come and get get meat or see what it's like. That's what we're here for. You work a lot with uh, the best of the West, and you work with Hunting with Heroes and some of the other organizations to bring those of veterans in, and over the last couple of years, you've had uh, some pretty successful and really eye-opening hunts. We have. We we started with a gentleman by the name of Joel Tavera. They say some give give, give some. He gave it all, um, and it was a pleasure to take him for hunting for heroes on his first and only bull elk hunt. Um, Kirsty Ennis was another one. Um, we've had five others since then. Um, we're looking at doing another one next year. This year, we really concentrated on the youth hunts. Well, and you actually donated a, a youth hunt to our uh, North Platte Walleyes we we, that we auctioned off. And I, I think they're coming up. He'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, so they're coming up tomorrow. So obviously, you, you give back to the community. You uh, try to give everybody the, the best opportunity to experience you know, mm-hmm. this, this environment, this atmosphere, this culture, and really uh, just uh, learning, you know, how to uh, manage the herds and, and, and whatnot. So. That's, that's a very fitting sound if you hear it in the background. <laughs> when someone gets a phone call or a text here, it goes automatically to an elk bugle. It does, it does, it does. It puts you right in the mood. We need oh, to go yeah. back out and uh, hunt again. But uh, hang on. We'll be right back in just a few minutes again. Go check them out, cedarridgehunting.com. And, of course, if you need any kind of supplies for your hunt, you can check out uh, RockyMountainSports.com and start your shopping there. We'll be back more with Cedar Ridge Outfitters. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And we are back. Cedar Ridge Outfitters somewhere in Wyoming, area 48 and 120. Just somewhere there. Right, Tony? That is true. Okay, that's good. That's good. Now, uh, when you guys uh, bring in hunters, you guys have hunters that come in, well, pretty much constantly. There's there's not much downtime. And uh, so the changeover has to go pretty quickly. Does it work a little bit like a hotel would? You know, you have your check-in time, your check-out time, and then everything in the middle? It does. Our check-in time's after 3 p.m. Than the day before their hunt. 
Um, and then as soon as our hunt's done, three-day, four-day, five-day, six-day, six seven-day hunt, then they have to be checked out no later than 9 a.m. The, the day after their hunt. That gives the gals, the staff, whoever, time to get their rooms cleaned, their bunks cleaned, whatever, get them prepped and ready for them to be here because the next group's showing up right after 3 o'clock. And when you say they're a hunt, uh, you don't mean like when they uh, get get their elk because they pay for six days or whatever. They stay for six days. So our hunters, if it's a three-day antelope hunt, a four-day cow hunt, five-day deer hunt, six- to seven-day bull elk hunt, 12-day back in the, the wilderness hunt, their hunt is for what they scheduled and what they pay for. We don't boot them out after they actually fill. We don't ask them to leave. A lot of the hunters have, have worked a year, two years to save their money. It's like a vacation for them. So we don't boot them out. Once their hunt's done, we offer other things for them. We can take them turkey hunting. We have bird farms on, on all the, the ranches that we have. So they go do bird, bird hunting. There's additional leftover doe tags. So we have fishing with the guides who are hooked up with. Brian is one that if they want to go do the walleye, I'll call him set them up and he'll take them out and do the walleye so it, it, it really is a, a full-on experience that you're paying for exactly what you want and what you're getting and you know brian it's you know our first time being here so i wasn't really sure what to expect but man we walked in the door and it was almost like you know, royalty because they take care of you from the the start to the end yeah this isn't like your typical hunting lodge i mean we 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 have stayed at some typical hunting lodges, right? Yeah, I mean, we have. You know, and, and it, it kind of, uh, you know, me and Tony talked about this a long time ago, is that, you know, you don't want to over overpromise. Um, obviously, you're hunting, so it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to harvest something. Um, and, you know, there's some accommodations that aren't five-star hotels. The place we're at today is super nice. It's great. I'd bring my wife here. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, there's other places where, you know, a lot of guys, they don't really want a five-star hotel. They no. don't want to have to take their shoes off when they walk in the front door and, they want to be able to, you know, have a big fire going in the middle, and you know, you know, typical kind of bunk set up in the in the back room, and you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's almost more cozy. It's kind of like, you know, when I, when I was a kid, my dad would take us out deer hunting, and we'd put up, you know, a couple wall tents. We'd have one wall tent for like the mess kitchen, the mess camp, and then the other ones were sleeping quarters. And you know, you just have to kind of know what you're getting into, and, and again, not overpromise, but uh, you know, with with what you're offering. I mean, they can have just a little bit, of, just about anything. And and they can, Brian. We we've got three lodges that that we're now running out of. You know, this is definitely our five star lodge. Um, this is where we do a lot of our family hunts, our youth hunts, the buddy hunts, the the group hunts, the corporations that are bringing out their guys. Um, this is more of our nicer, relaxing hunt. The guides that I have are wore out. From you know, we're starting in August and we're running until. October thirty first. So they're wore out. They're ready for breaks. So we bring them here where, yes, we have saunas. We have everything we have here where the guides can relax, the hunters are having fun, and the meals are great. Well, the guides are working hard because you know today I was about the only thing I could really do is hold a leg while you know they jumped <laughs> yeah. in there and and did the gutting and you know and that kind of stuff. So uh, kudos to your entire staff because I mean the accommodations have been great, the food's been great. Bob did a great meal last night. Um, it's uh, it's it's been it's been an awesome experience for us to be able to get up here. Yeah, and matter of fact, all your staff and crew and friends are are here today too, and uh, we're gonna kind of let you introduce them and you know what they do, and and then we'll kind of get in with them. 
Chad Bar Barker is probably my number one guide. He's been with me the longest. Um, he's been a great help. He's also a very, very good friend of mine. Um, he comes into the being a guide, having the love and the passion of outdoors. Um, I've taught him some stuff. He's taught me me some stuff, but I can always rely on him. Um, of course, I have some other guys that aren't aren't here. Michael Shebler, Clint um, aren't up here for this this hunt. John uh, is not up here. So Chad is usually the main guide I have up here, and he is here. I'll let him get get, get on, and he can can visit about it. So, Chad, you've been doing the guiding for how long now? Uh, this is my fourth year, fourth or fifth year here with Tony. So, and, and I know you're a busy guy outside of here. You know, we've worked together with uh, Thankful Thursdays in the past. And so it's, it's got to be pretty tough to go your regular job, your family life, your wrestling career, your, and then, you know, coming up but, and doing this. But you're, like, you don't let anything go. You know, you don't let anything get by you. And I, it, that says a lot about you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've got uh, quite the active life and, um, you know, business and family. And, but I enjoy this. You know, I, I look forward to this season every year and getting up here and, um, you know, truly being in the outdoors and the, the whole experience from uh, meeting new people every week and hearing their stories. And no matter where they're from, they're always in awe of the beauty that we have here in Wyoming. And I think that's something that, you know, we take right. for granted because right. we see it all the time. So it's neat to hear that. And then just to watch the thrill on their face, to see animals, to harvest an animal, get the experience of the lodge and the cabin and um, the horses and things like that when we go out and take these guys. It, it's it's neat. So every week you said you have new hunters, and that means you have different levels of, of hunting that you're going to do. Is there one in particular that you like to do best? You know, today we were kind of in trucks and, and you know, hiking a little bit, and, and sometimes you may be side-by-sides or horses or... Some of us did a little more hiking than others. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that's because me and Drew hunt smart. Yeah, and when they put you on elk like that, you don't have to walk too far. Yeah. They put us on elk. See those elk a mile and a half away? <laughs> Go after them. Uh, you know, there, there are hunts that I like better. Today was nice. Um, you know, I have a nickname here called the Billy Goat, and it's usually because I get sent up the biggest, tallest you know, mountainside and I got to walk all over the place and then I turn into the pack mule. So, um, you know, days like today are, are, are nice. Um, you know, I, I think each, each hunter brings a new experience. Um, I, I enjoy the veteran hunts. I enjoy the disabled guys. I, I enjoy the kids. I, I, I really, do, I can't tell you that there's one that I like in particular more than the other because each one is unique. Each person has their own individual story. And I enjoy getting to hear that and fulfill a wish and a dream for them. He likes it when I put him on the on the non-rideable horses. Oh, yeah, those are my favorite. When I get the uh, nice, you know, easy horse that's supposedly broke and it's not, and I'm everybody's entertainment when it turns into a rodeo. It, it was funny this summer. We were at the uh, the fair, and my dad was there, and you guys came up and sat right right with us. You guys started talking about uh, twenty hand horses, and my dad looked at me and just started laughing. So for the last six months, 
It's been, it's been. Oh, this is the twenty hand horse. So I can only imagine what the what what the heck some of your rides are like then. Yeah, they're uh, they're interesting, Drew. You know, um, like you, I've got to use a ladder to get onto them. <laughs> one of those twenty hand horses, but uh, uh, you know, once you're up there, you're on top of the world. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tony, you have more of uh, the crew here. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and meet the rest of them in just minutes. Okay. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And we're back. Cedar Ridge Outfitters for Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Drew, Brian Woodward, Tony Kaiser, and your entire cast and crew uh, is here with us. And and it's it was fun. We mentioned just a little bit ago, as soon as we walked in the door, you know, it was like everybody was kind. Everybody was having fun. We were kind of seeing the last hunters out as we were coming in. And and uh, the first thing you, you did is, are you guys hungry? Are you, you need a drink? Let's let's do that. So when you come here, it's almost like you know going to a second home. It is. It is. I mean, and that's we want everybody to feel comfortable, happy when they're here, relaxed, and enjoy themselves. And I'll tell you, just experiencing the hunters that were leaving last night, you, you could tell that they were all excited to be here, and that that was really one of the things that I think that. Uh, it's really cool about coming up here uh, to this outfitter. And uh, you got some more people here with us we want to talk about. And Chris has come all the way from South Africa just to be on this show. So we thought, you know, we've got to get him on. We do. We do. Chris, again, I met him at a show in, in Rapid City. Um, we've just hit it off. Um, he wanted to come over here and witness this and, and, and help me however he could, fueling, feeding horses whatever it took, calling meat to the locker plant. But he's here to experience it and see it. And, you know, we're going to try and see compared to what he does to what, what we do over here and see if there's stuff that we can trade off, hopefully get clients going each each direction is what we're after. But, Chris, it, it's all you. So, Chris, I know one thing that uh, I noticed the difference for you here was you were layered up way more than anyone else because at home it's 80 degrees. Yeah, one thing that uh, that I've noticed over here is that people can't close a fridge door. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of cold twenty four seven. Yeah. On top of that, the wind is a little different than we have back home. So, it's 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 a lot different. You know, my my daughters are five and eight years old. They have never even seen snow. Uh-huh. Uh, first time I saw snow was when I came to the states. So um, yeah, really, it's a it's a big 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 difference. When it comes to the hunting aspect of it, how different is the hunting here that you would maybe do back home? So I think in in general, if you think about it, the hunting is very similar. Um, Terrain is probably the biggest difference. And then I think some of the herd sizes. I mean, you know, two days or whatever ago, we got into a herd of elk that was probably a thousand head. Um, It's it's not often that, that you'll see something like that. And I think people... That get to experience that is is kind of I think that's on a lot of people's bucket list. You know, I, I honestly think that anyone that gets to see that is blessed. Right. Well, and it's kind of interesting. Would you say that for someone from South Africa that coming here would be just like us going to South Africa to hunt, where it's you know we're just excited and just want to experience it. Yeah, the biggest thing that you got to remember is um, like elk and, and mule deer and whitetail and all those things are normal for you guys. For me, coming from South Africa, those are exotics. 
So in my lodge in South Africa, I've got all my African trophies and my wife's African trophies and, and all our North American stuff is going in our house. Oh, wow. So, so that's our exotics. Um, so again, you know, um, it's, it's different world, but same people. I, I always feel that everyone in the hunting industry are like-minded. Whether you are from South Africa, from the States, it doesn't matter. I think we're all kind of the same people, and that's why people in the hunting industry get on so well, too. And, and I feel like last night when we got introduced to you and we kind of started talking and, you know, everybody was asking questions and everything, that that's exactly what I took out of it is, you know, you basically picked up and dropped yourself here, but you fit in just because of what you were saying, where, you know, everybody's so accepting and, and you know, it's just the same world. Again, you know, um, for most of us in this industry, it's a way of life. Uh, I don't think anyone in this industry sees it as a job. You know, we're an 8 to 5. We all know it's not an 8 to 5. But, you know, no one sees us as work. Yeah, we get tired and all that, but we all love it. And that's why we do it. And, and the people that you meet out of this, I mean, we've got friends all over the States, we've, you know, that we've met over the years. And, and I think friends that you make in the industry, hunting industry is, is probably also the better friends that you're going to make in your life. Very well said. And Tony, I, I'll tell you, you said that you're going to South Africa to kind of learn how they do things over there and, and you know, kind of work with Chris this summer. So that, that's kind of cool how it's, you know, almost like a trade uh, program. I went over there last year in July, hunted with Chris, got to see his lodge, got to see how, how it's set up, um, got to, you know, witness the trackers, the, the skinners, how they do it all. Um, and it, again, it, like, like, like Chris said, it's a lot of like, it's just different ways that they do it compared to us, but it, it's a hundred percent exactly like hunting, skinning, prepping, taxidermy, taking care of the clients, the food, the meals. It's, it's, it's 100% the same here as it is over there. Except you don't have to wear uh, thermals over there. No, you don't have to. No. <laughs> the, no. the, the other biggest difference is probably that you need to bring a plastic little card that you can pay with because you can shoot yourself into a bit of trouble quickly. Oh. <laughs> that is true, <laughs> as he looks at me. <laughs> yeah, that was just last year. When you come next year, we'll see how that goes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. June, June 23rd, I fly out again. Well, uh, you also have uh, some other folks that are, are here in... in Bob is here, and Bob was doing some cooking, and I did some hunting today, and he's on his way out in a couple of days. Bob, Bob has become a, a friend in the family of, of Cedar Ridge. Um, Bob came out, he, well, he was out l- last year, he contacted me at the beginning of the year, wanted to come out and do a cow hunt, um, was concerned about his knees, concerned that he could do it. Um, we told him we'd get it done for him, and he did. He got his first cow in Wyoming last year. Um, and he was back at camp, and we had some hunters that we took us a little bit longer to get their animals out. They were one of those ones that we had to pack out. Um, and Bob had called me and said, can I get anything ready for you? And I said, yeah, I'm sure everybody would be hungry. And he made a tremendous dinner for the hunters when they got in there. And this year I offered him to come back and be a cook and hunt and be, be part of the Cedar Ridge team, and here he is. Bob, it seems like uh, that's a pretty good deal for you. Yeah, it's a very good deal, very good indeed. I mean, the as, as you've heard before, the, uh, the country out here is beautiful. The, the, the people, the staff, the, the clientele, uh, top rate. 
and uh, to just be out here and, and hang out, so to speak. And oh, by the way, yeah, you go out and uh, hunt for a day or two here and, and do some cooking, helping out around the lodge. Uh, uh, I'm retired, so this this is just a nice living, very and, nice. And Wyoming's a little different from where you're from in Seattle, right? We're just outside of Seattle and Washington? Yeah, I'm just a little bit north of Seattle, a little town called Linwood. And uh, yeah, this coast, the, the rain, the, the, the green forests and, and that type of thing. And you come out here and it's the rolling hills. Everything's open. Uh, entirely different climate. Uh, certainly different from South Africa. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's just a nice change. Very nice change. So you come out, you do some cooking, you do some hunting, and then on Tuesday, I believe, you, you're going to go home and, and go back. But because of the, the way they work here, you get to take the meat that you harvested home with you. Oh, that's, that's a bonus. That's, that's the ultimate right there. Uh, the meat, I, I tell the first-time elk hunters, if you've never eaten elk venison, that, that is just primo stuff. Enjoy it. We had a gentleman here from uh, Alabama, I believe he was from, and uh, he was uh, successful, got his cow, and he was debating, can I get this meat on the plane to get home? It's oh, going to yeah. cost me extra. I said, pay the extra. Don't leave an ounce of that behind, and it, uh, it will serve you. It will it'll be just fantastic. Well, while they were uh, going after an elk that was up high on a mountain, you and I were sitting inside a truck where it was nice and warm and no wind, and uh, you had mentioned to me the elk steak. Like you, because I was like, "Oh yeah, I can't wait for the burger." And you said, "Oh no, no, no! You yeah. got to have the steak." How do you like your steak? <laughs> Plenty of it, <laughs> but uh, actually, I am uh, very delicate with the spices: a little salt, a little pepper, a little garlic powder, and grill that up, and you're in hog heaven. Wow! Well, thank you so much, Bob and and Tony. We, we got one more person that you need to talk about. We do. We have a new addition to Cedar Ridge. They call her Special K. <laughs> some i mean that they call her that some call her that <laughs> she she's red she's, in the face right now just like as red as her shirt but she's a full-time cook cook for, for cedar ridge now she's also getting ready to become a full-time guide for cedar ridge she'll probably do a lot of our horseback stuff and take care of the horses but i'll let her get on the mic all right so you and i were talking last night that cedar ridge is not the only outdoor thing that, that you do you work with some other organizations too i do i'm a member with rocky mountain elk foundation and i help guide too with first hunt foundation so that's a really nice program that women and children can come and learn how to hunt for the first time and even the second and third time, too, um, they just want to learn, and it's super awesome to help pass along the education and the legacy of hunting, be able to have them go back home and help other people. And that kind of is what you're going to get into here, is to be that extra guide that could help someone to put what you have learned into a good use. Absolutely. How hard is it to cook for a big, stinky house full of guys? And being, you know, in the house and... That's why we call her Special K. Um, it's, it, it's, you're very special is what he's saying. That's what. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard. I came from a large family and um, family of six. And then I had four kids of my own. So I've always been cooking for at least six people. And then my whole entire family. Um, we've had up to 50 people for holidays. So, of course, everyone helps pitch in with food and different stuff. But... We all cook for a lot of people, so it's not really that hard. And I've also done 4-H leader stuff 
and then cooking. And the sky's the limit with cooking, and it's just fun. Bob did a great job of training her. Oh, nice job, Bob. Drew, I want to just uh, jump in there. You know, it's kind of nice when you've got, uh, you know, especially like a female guide involved because it kind of does bring like a whole different uh, aspect and level to, you know, any facility, right? So we know there's a handful of fly fishing guides out there that are females. And, you know, it kind of puts like those women that want to come and join their husbands actually puts them at ease or if it's their first time hunting or maybe they're with their child. I mean, it kind of it's it's kind of cool to be able to see that you know they can relate and uh, and not like be uh, over masculine. They, right. You know, I mean, I guess you know because I mean sometimes you know guys get get going pretty good, but to, to be able to have uh, a female guide involved um, and just helping out on that level does offer a whole different uh, level of um, services kind of available. You know, to especially like female hunters that that may want to come. Well, I also can say that she can hold her own in a battle of, of wits and, and words, too. So, I mean, big family, so that's kind of what it is, and that's what it is here at uh, Cedar Ridge Outfitters. And uh, it, it's really cool, Tony, the, the operation that you got here. And Brian and I both appreciate you letting us come up and see how it is so that we can tell people how great, you know, it, it is to be able to get outdoors and you know, if you don't have a whole lot of time, you can come up. And if you don't have a whole lot of experience, that you guys have the experience to go and, and help. Yeah, and, you know, and that's that's what we're, we're trying to do. Again, you know, go, going back on the gals, we have three gals. We have Lou, Camden, and then Special K, as we call her. Um, it helps with the guides to keep them calm down. I mean, just having that different per, per personality. It also helps with some of our hunters. Some of our hunters, it's hard for them to let the guides or myself take them out. They just get really excited, nervous. It's easier to put a female touch, touch on it, I guess you could say. It calms thing, things down. Well, again, thanks, Tony. Thanks, crew. Thanks, everybody, for uh, letting us be part of this cool thing. CedarRidgeHunting.com. Go over there, check it out. Maybe next year you want to get in on a hunt. They can uh, get you all the information and and let you know now what you need to do then uh, because, you know, obviously it, it has to do with getting your licenses and, and getting all the, the stuff in order. So make sure to get over there, check it out, cedarridgehunting.com for all the details. That's going to wrap it up for this show here. Come on back and join us. And if you missed any of the show, you can check it out tomorrow morning as we go streaming 24-7, go to the My Country 95.5 or the K2 Radio app and click On Demand and listen to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.